talking about in the book Hebrews, right? Is he worthy? Basically, these Hebrews are asking the author, is he worthy in such a way that I should have to go through all this struggling and all of this effort and all of this persecution? And the resounding answer, of course, is yes. Jesus is better than all that. And we've gone over this for the past several weeks. Jesus is better. He's better than everything but the writer of the book of hebrews lists things specifically he says that he is better than uh, the prophets he is certainly better than the, even the mightiest angels he is better than moses he is better than joshua and the rest that joshua offers is not as good as the rest that jesus can offer and so he tells us he says don't neglect your salvation don't neglect your salvation. Right now, I purchased a uh, bow from my son, which so far is just set in the case, and I've not gotten it out yet. So I'm neglecting it. And if I neglect it long enough, certain things are probably going to happen to that bow that are going to have to be corrected, you know, sooner or later, tension and different things like that. So you can tell I don't know much about bows yet, but I will. But he says, don't neglect your salvation and let it slip away. Don't harden your hearts as people did in the wilderness and they saw the promised land but they felt like that, that they couldn't trust God to go into the promised land. He says continually in this book, don't go back to your old way of life but move forward with Christ. It is Christ who offers rest for our soul. And I just love that term, rest for our soul. That's what Jesus offers to us, right? We have all this all of this angst built up into us and people have all of this angst built up into each and every one of us about what is going to happen when I die. And if, of course, some people say, well, nothing happens. You'll just go to the grave and that's the end. Others will say, well, you go to sleep or others will say, no, there's a life after death. But Jesus, when he offers us soul rest, he's offering us the rest that means that we can know for sure what happens when we die, that we can go and have eternal life with God. Christ offers rest for our souls, but then also with him we can come before God with great confidence. And I, I hope that you remember that from last week, that we can always come to God with great confidence because of the grace and because of the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our confession. I think that probably could be one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews. Let us hold fast to our confession. We've made this profession about Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the savior. We believe that he is the Lord. Let us hold fast to that. Let us hold fast for our salvation. Let us hold fast for the witness to the rest of the world. And so now today we're going to have an opportunity to see Jesus as he becomes the source of our eternal salvation. We're going to carry on talking uh, about Jesus and his priesthood a little bit longer, but let's go ahead and read the scripture first and then we will dive into the scripture after that. 
Let's go ahead and stand for this reading. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible open to there, I hope you can follow along. Starts out, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he also said in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let us pray. Father, we need your help to understand this section of scripture. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our lives to be able to teach us from these words. Pray that you would empower me to be able to give this message with confidence and with surety so that we can believe in Jesus as we must believe in Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the role of the Old Testament priest and the seriousness of this sacrificial system. Help us also to understand Jesus' priesthood and that it is better than that of the priesthood of Moses. And finally, help us to understand that the church is a royal priesthood in and of itself. So we pray that you would guide and direct us in all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus not only mediates between God and man, but as the great high priest, he has become the source of eternal salvation. He is the living water that the woman at the well should have asked for, but he is the source of salvation. You know, it's always good to find the source of whatever you're dealing with, right? So if it's a stream, if it's a river, a river, we know where it's very broad, like the Mississippi River, uh, carries all kinds of silt and dirt and garbage and everything down with it. But if you trace that back up to the mountains, up into Minnesota, you get up to springs and you get up to streams that are very clear. And that's how I kind of like to think about this. Jesus is the source of our salvation. He has become that because he has interceded for us and he is a high priest. He has offered sacrifices and he has offered himself as a sacrifice. So this part of scripture talks about what it is for a man to be a priest, but it also talks about Jesus, the Son of God, as being a high priest. 
So let's begin with what are the qualifications for a man to be a high priest? What, what was required by the law of Moses for a person to become a high priest? Well, first of all, he must represent men before God. He's an intermediary. I have men on this side. We have God on this side. He stands between as one who provides mediation. Some of you might want to think of him as an attorney who represents you in a legal case. The, the attorney knows your situation. He knows the law. And when the right time comes, he pleads your case to the judge. What's well, much the same with a priest in the Old Testament times. The Old Testament priest knows the situation of the people. There was sin. There was sin everywhere, just like there is today. And we'll get an idea of that here in a little bit. But these priests were continually dealing with the sins of the people. They knew their situation. They knew that in order to have a relationship and experience a relationship with God, there had to be some kind of intermediary uh, for that to happen. The Old Testament priests also, they knew the law. They knew what, what was right. They knew what was wrong. They knew when the sacrifices needed to be offered. And they also would plead your case. They would plead your case by taking your offering, slaughtering it, burning it on the bronze and labor, and offering it up to God. And he must offer gifts and sacrifices and another qualification of what it is to be a high priest. The Old Testament sacrifices and gifts were many and numerous. If you have read through the book of Leviticus much, then you know that these can be exhausting almost to kind of read through. But let me kind of do a little bit of a synopsis by way of this handout that I have here on the different sacrifices that were required because this tabernacle that we're talking about, the one that was used in the wilderness and then the temple later in the town of, in the city of Jerusalem was a busy place because of all of the sin. All of these sacrifices had to be offered. And so the whole tribe of Levi was devoted to this, right? They did not have any other parcel of land like everyone else did for Judah had land in the south and Israel had lands in the north. But Levi only had the temple. That was their sole area of expertise to take care of. And I believe at one time in the book of Numbers somewhere, I, I remember reading that the, the tribe of Levi was 20 some thousand people. Now you can check me on that. It may be a little bit different. But all of these had the responsibility of dealing with tabernacle sacrifices and taking care of the people's spiritual needs and their cleansing needs. And so we see these different types of offerings that were uh, had during the Old Testament times. First of all, there was a sin offering. There was a guilt offering. These were very much similar. The sin offering had to do with the sin between you and God. The guilt offering had to do with sin between you and another person. The guilt offering addressed sins against others and included paying damages with interest. Various animals were offered depending on the person's position and income. Priests as leaders, as example to others, had to offer larger sacrifices for sin while the poor offered what they could. Blood was sprinkled on the altar. The parts of the animal were burned often with wine poured on them. 
Other parts were roasted for the priests, since the priests were full-time tabernacle workers, sacrificed animals were their main source of food. And if you just think about the sin offering, the guilt offering, and all those offerings going on inside this tabernacle, it was just a bloody mess. There was also the burnt offering. This is a sacrifice that represented complete dedication and surrender to God. The animal, usually an unblemished male, bore the worshiper's sin and died in his or her place. After the blood was sprinkled on the altar, the animal was completely burned up. None of it was roasted for eating. There's two others which um, do not involve animals, but there was a grain offering. This offering was given to God in thankfulness. The people brought fine flour, unleavened cakes, or roasted grain to the priest. The priest burned a symbolic handful at the altar and could partake of the rest. There was very little ceremony involved. And then last, there's the fellowship or the peace offering. This offering symbolized fellowship and peace with God through the shed blood. After some meat was ceremonially waived and given to the priest, worshipers and their guests could share in the feast as a meal with God. And so just a tremendous, tremendous amount of sacrifices that are going on in this place. And I hope that we get the sense of the message of this is that our sin is grievous to God and it must be dealt with. And it's very often an ugly scene when we deal with sin. If you think about all of the killing of these animals that's done on this altar. But this is what the, the, the Old Testament high priest and the priest had to do. They had to offer, offer these sacrifices. He must be able to deal gently with men. A priest must be able to deal gently with men and he could do that because he knew what it was like to sin himself. And so he could understand the people's weakness and yet he could not condone what they had done. So he must be gentle, he must be compassionate, must understand our weakness for sin, but not condone it in any way. And then the high priest, speaking of the high priest, the high priest was to offer a sin for the people once every year. This is on the day, the day of atonement or Yom Kippur is another name for that. If you see that on your calendar, that's what we're talking about here, the day of atonement. This is one offering given once a year for the sins of all the people. The priest first had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because he had sinned. And then once he had been cleansed of sin, then he was able to take this, soft, this offering uh, where it had been slaughtered and take it into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, sprinkle blood on the altar there, and then the, sin, the people could know that their sins had been forgiven. No prophet or no, not prophet, no priest must be self-appointed, but they must be God-appointed. So we have, we have about those four or five different things. He must represent men. He must offer gifts and sacrifices. He must be gentle and compassionate. He must offer sacrifices for sin of the people and sins for his own sin. And he must be someone who's appointed by God. 
Now the question we have here, and I think that the book of Hebrews is trying to prove is that Jesus met and exceeded all of these qualifications for a high priest. That's why he is our great high priest, amen? He is our great high priest. He exceeded these in every way. Christ was born a man so he could intercede on behalf of men, but he was also the son of God and he was appointed and sent by God. Christ sacrificed himself and he sacrificed and he suffered greatly, but he did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself, if that makes sense. Jesus didn't have to sacrifice uh, sacrifice for himself because he himself had no sin, if you remember. So part of the sacrificial system is that you take a lamb without blemish, uh, a goat without blemish, sometimes a bull without blemish. They had to be without blemish, right? Pointing toward that this represents someone without sin. And so Jesus, as our great high priest, when he's offering a sacrifice, he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself first because he had no sin. He was tempted in every way and yet without sin, right? Therefore, he is able to help us in our time of temptation as well. And so he meets the qualification of being someone who is compassionate and generous. Christ was made perfect and became the source of eternal life for salvation. Look at verse number nine. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. And I underline that to all who obey, by the way. This is an example of word substitution that we should be familiar with when we read the Bible. Many times there are words who have the same meaning and they can be used interchangeably. And so here, the author has said to obey, he could have said to all who have faith, right? Because to have faith is to obey. To say that you have faith, but you're not willing to follow and obey Jesus is not really a saving kind of faith. And this is an example I would point to that. But Jesus as the high great priest had been made perfect because he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So what does it mean that he was made perfect? Isn't Jesus perfect already? Well, yes, he was perfect already. But in order to purchase a people for himself, he had to go through this process of being sacrificed. And we know that sacrifice as his death on the cross for our sins. So in that sense, it perfected him and made him the one who is the source of our salvation. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So he is the one who is the one mediator and he is better than all these other priests. And I listed some reasons for why he is better. Reasons why Christ's priesthood is better. Jesus lives forever. <laughs> Jesus lives forever. The high priest was changed out every year and many of them died in the wilderness. And so they were no longer around to present their sacrifice, but Jesus lives forever and is continually in the presence of God saying, you remember what I did? 
for my son Rob down on the cross? Remember what I did for my son Leroy down on the cross? Remember what I did for my daughter Charlotte down on the cross? And he intercedes for us. Even when we sin, he comes before as a good judge advocate or attorney would and says, yes, they have sinned, but I plead their case. I will take the punishment for them. So Jesus lives forever to do that. That's why we can believe in eternal security, folks, not because of one verse here or there, but because Jesus paid the price for our sin and he lives forever and intercedes for us forever. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful news. It's not based in our performance. It's not based on anything we do. It's based on what he has done for us. Jesus had no sin of his own. It's another great benefit of him being the high priest. He had no sin of his own. He's never fell to temptation. He has been tempted, and yet he did so without falling into sin. And then finally, his priesthood is better because Jesus offers himself. The book of Hebrews later on will tell us, and it tells us in the Old Testament as well, is that the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. Did you know that? After all this study, you tell me, <laughs> you're saying, you tell me, Rob, all this study, blood, the blood of bull and goats will not take away sin? No, no, they were just a picture, a shadow of Jesus who had come and paid the ultimate price on the cross for our sins. So Jesus didn't offer bulls or goats or lambs. He offered himself. He was the spotless lamb of God, right? God offered him as a sacrifice. So he is our mediator. He's the one mediator between us and God. And he was appointed by God to be a high priest. Now in this last part, we get to see that this applies so much to us. Did you know that you are a royal priesthood? Did you know that? Good news. It begins way back with Israel. Way back before the Ten Commandments were even given, God said to the people of Israel that you shall be a kingdom of priests to me, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Even the nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were to be that beacon of light in that, in that Middle Eastern world where everyone who passed through there could see their temple, could see their sacrifices and understand and know that there was a God who created all things. And they were a kingdom of priests. They could tell people about their God. Jesus, I believe, is calling us to be priests to intercede for a lost world. That's our job, right? We are priests. Not all of us are, have the office of pastor. We're not talking about an office of a priest like you would in the Catholic church. But we're talking about the priesthood of believers that says every person who is a Christian has a responsibility to share Christ with other people. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
We, we see in that one verse several of these requirements that we've mentioned. Do we, do we meet the quali qualification of a priest? Well, first of all, we must represent men before God. We must intercede for them, right? Mm -hmm. And we do that probably most through our prayer. People need to be prayed for. If they don't know Christ, we need to be praying for them that they come to know Christ. That is our intercessory priestly duty to do that. He must represent men before God. Scripturally, it says that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We must represent men before God. We must also represent Christ before men. That's a little bit twist on the words, but we represent Christ before men. Peter, once again, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is our responsibility. We must represent Christ before men. He must deal gently or have compassion for all men. We're called to be compassionate to all men, right? We're called to love all people. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See how that works? We're to speak his excellencies, but we're also, we are also to, uh, lost my place. We also are also to love other, others and by loving them, they will know that there is a God who loves them. He must offer sacrifices. We're going down through this list. Do we qualify as a priesthood? He must offer sacrifices. Do we offer sacrifices? We should, right? I'm sure, we, I'm sure there's many things that we sacrifice, but there's a couple things that I had put down. We sacrifice our fortune. We sacrifice our fortune. Matthew says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went out and sold all that he had and bought it. Even in the book of Hebrews, it says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I don't know if you get the significance of that, of that verse, but these people, they were joyfully having their money, their property plundered because they knew that they had a possession that was much greater than any possession on this earth. So we sacrifice our fortune. But we sacrifice something much greater, right? We sacrifice our life. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, who Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
We are to sacrifice our very lives for the cause of Christ in order to be a priest and take the good news to other people. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's almost a little bit overwhelming when we hear these words. But I believe these are true words that we are to be a priesthood. We are to follow in the steps of Jesus. He is still interceding for us by, by the way, sitting at the right hand of God. But down here, he still has chosen to use us to intercede on behalf of those who, who don't know him, who've never had the opportunity to know him. And so in one sense, he is the source of salvation, of eternal salvation, but we also are a source of eternal salvation for those whom we speak about the gospel. Does that make sense? No way can we pay the price that Jesus paid. I'm not talking about that. But in a real, very, in a very real sense, we are someone's source of salvation, of eternal salvation, because we have the message within us. We, we don't keep it within us, right? We share it with others. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has given this command, go to all parts of this world. There are people there who will receive Christ. I want to have disciples from every nation in the world as part of my body, part of my church. Go and get them, go and get them. Father, we thank so much for this opportunity that we've had today to study your word. And we thank you that although it's an awesome responsibility that we are a royal priesthood, that you have changed our lives so drastically that we no longer think about ourselves in the way that we used to, but we think about others and their need to know Christ. So help us today to follow the example of Jesus. Help us to be those priests, those ones who would intercede, and even in the difficult situations, that we would be there to help people bridge the gap between themselves and God with the gospel message. And help us always to be thankful that Jesus is the reason that we can do this. Jesus is a reason that we can come to the throne of grace and receive power. It's all through his sacrifice on the cross. And my prayer today is that if there is one here today who needs to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they will today, during this time of prayer, bow their head and surrender their life to Christ. And we as a church will rejoice with them. Father, during this time of prayer, we pray that you would be in charge as in all of our services and draw people to yourself. May you be glorified in the church today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen.